You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Welcome back. Thanks. Yeah. See, it's funny because I feel like I have to explain why. You do. Well, actually, that actually brings up a, a great question. Are we welcoming back our listeners or are you welcoming me back? Who's being welcomed back? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, hopefully for the for the listeners, it feels as though nothing has changed at all. Yeah, but for us, it's been a mighty hiatus. A mighty hiatus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but you, I mean, I, you you've expressed this to the to the congregation. But in case they're listening from Georgia, the country. <laughs> And they don't attend our church. Not You're a father state. again. I am. How yes, exciting. Yes, yes. Second daughter. It was a girl. Yeah. I am not a prophet, as it turns out. <laughs> All those times I said it was a boy. Had a beautiful, healthy baby girl named Anna June. Yeah. So we're loving life. But uh, yeah, we took a couple weeks off from recording, obviously, so yeah. I could be with them and do all that stuff. So now we're back in the saddle, mm-hmm. having a great old time and uh, living the life. Yeah. yeah so good. Here we are. Yeah, it does feel good. And, you know, I feel like we begin our podcast with mm, pedantic is not the right word, but pedantic conversation, you know, <laughs> there's a little, a little banter yeah, at the beginning. Um, it's like conversational comfort food. Conversational comfort you food. You have to try. Just Striking sit Striking image. You know? Yeah. I like that a mm-hmm. lot. Well, speaking of conversational comfort food, that's a new segment. Conversational comfort food. We're going to have a whole gamut of theme songs. (laughs) We are. But I have uh, started something different with my coffee. Oh, tell me about this. Yeah. So long story short. Wow. I was about to actually tell the long story, (laughs) which defeats the entire purpose of saying long story short. I'm going to actually do what I promised. Long story short, I am foregoing all form of sweetener or sugar or anything in, on my coffee. Wait, milk, dairy? I'm still using substitutes? milk. Okay. I will use milk, but no sugar in it. So oh. like nothing that will sweeten it. And part of my reasoning for this is every time I get a new bag of coffee mm-hmm. from Trade Coffee, mm-hmm. yeah. my subscription service. Not a sponsor, but you not can. Not a sponsor, but <laughs> you're listening. But I noticed that they have all these neat little flavor profiles. Like this coffee has notes of this and this and this. Uh And my whole life, I've never been able to distinguish those notes ever because my coffee is mostly overpowered with (laughs) white chocolate sweetness, which I've always historically enjoyed and that's fine. But I've decided I want to be able to try and detect those notes. Mm -hmm. But I feel like you have to like completely kind of cleanse your palate to really get a feeling for that and And start doing that. And then acclimate. Yeah. So... I decided to go cold turkey and go with... Now, most of these coffees that I get are specifically designed to take milk. So they're like, this will brew well with milk. So, you know, kind of bring out some of the flavors even. But I'm trying that now. And it has been a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. (laughs) I take a sip and I expect it's sweet. It's like, ooh, it's... Bitter is not the right word, but I'm still learning. I've, I've gone through a lot of different flavored creamers. That's like the way added sweetening and flavor just to kind of find something that wasn't too overpowering because that's what yeah. I would experience that same thing. And so I got to a point where I was using less and less and less. I've been for quite some time at this like milestone where it's about like one ounce of this, which is like just enough. Mm-hmm. I obviously cannot get like that like puritanical true flavor note situation, which is, you know, it's a shame. I think I would feel good about myself. <laughs> <laughs> if I did, but it's not so much that I can't notice a difference. And yep. what I'll do is usually every bag or every new brand of coffee that I'll try, I will at least make one cup 
on the stovetop with a mocha pot. Yeah. Because it's like way more prominent. The, yes. the flavor profile is like yes. jacked up. So yeah, that's kind of what, that was my approach. It's it's like the light version of what you're doing. <laughs> so that's, to tell me how that goes. Uh, have you historically been able to notice the different little flavor profiles, like little notes? Only after I lessened the creamer and only okay. to a certain extent. That so gives me hope that this limited, will not be in Yeah, vain. for sure. It definitely. And I'm also on the other side of it, hoping I'll feel a little better, like just physically, literally, oh. like not having so much sugar yeah. intake. So anyway, Good classic conversation right That's there. Fun. Speaking of classics. Oh, look at that. Caught me off guard. Yeah, because it was a really abrupt segue. That was like the kind of segue where like you're taking a 90 degree turn without a turn signal and you, you just whiplash. go. That's a whiplash. Yeah, <laughs> whiplash. That's exactly what it is. So oh. yeah, you know what we're here for. We're starting our overview of Augustine's Confessions, yeah. or depending on how you say it, Augustine. You can be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely not ready for that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Augustine or Augustine, whichever, whichever you prefer, sure. whichever one you want, you know, as Ethan pointed out. <laughs> No, um, you know, Augustine, for those of you who are unfamiliar with him, he is probably the most influential church father in Christendom. Mm. I think I can safely say that. Yeah. His writings and his work, in my very humble estimation, <laughs> did more to set the course for the Western church and really the West in general than anything I'd say except for the Bible. What? Yeah, really? he was really influential. I mean, he has had an influence on philosophy, legal theory. Whoa. Um, he developed... The just war theory, basically. Yo. I mean, all kinds of stuff he's he's had his hands in. He was really prolific. Wow. And then, of course, I mean, as far as Christianity goes specifically, I mean, he taught robustly on the Trinity, which was, I mean, that's difficult, you know, and he taught robustly <laughs> on that. Uh, he taught on the nature of grace, the church itself. So he's done a, a lot to influence the world. He's, he's like a, um, I'm inventing, I'm going to coin this term. And I'm ready. Hopefully it's right. He's like a fully faceted philosopher. Wow, I yeah. like that. Fully faceted philosopher. Uh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> but he strikes me as someone that's more than just, he's more than just a theologian. He's more than just a commentator. Yeah. He's oh, got yeah. the full scope of, of societal and religious, spiritual. Like he's got like the whole gamut. He does. Which yeah, is that's completely impressive. And I like that. Yeah. I like that he's not just this character type or this type of yeah. individual. So. Yeah. Yeah. Also, he was a political advisor to some prominent Roman officials wow. who eventually converted to Christianity That's under notable. his uh, leadership. So yeah, really awesome guy. Love him. I think it's telling as well that both uh, Catholics and Protestants uh, quote unquote claim him as their own. I think that's really interesting because you'll, you'll run into characters who like definitely, you know, like Martin Luther, like we claim Martin Luther. You know what I mean? Yeah. Catholics would claim Erasmus for sure. We both claim Augustine. <laughs> and very generally speaking, Catholics claim him for his teaching uh, regarding the nature of the church. Protestants claim him for his teaching on the nature of grace. But, you know, so how much, there. like in all of this time, how much of his work and beliefs do you think has been like lost or, or retooled in our modern context? I mean, I'm just musing, but it sure. seems like he had a lot to say. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, especially in modern evangelicalism, mm -hmm. mostly just lost. <laughs> like, yeah, I think, like, right. There is a big movement for theological retrieval, is what it's called. So there are a lot of folks who are trying to go back and resource guys like Augustine because he said so much and answered so many questions that yeah. a lot of people are asking today. They were like, oh, well, we need to like retool and come up with an answer to that. It's like, well, Augustine answered that in, you know, 437 AD. So we just forgot. Right. right. And I think 
we'll get into this a little bit, but part of it is there is some of this like alien quality to him, not extraterrestrial alien. I mean, like, you know, he, he was writing. Call the Pentagon. Yeah. <laughs> Area 51. Augustine's bones are there. What? <laughs> you know, that's, that's why I'm going to Area 51. <laughs> Find Augustine's bones. I love it. But, you know, I mean, he's writing in the, the fourth and fifth centuries. And I think a lot of people, as soon as you say that or think that, it's like, oh, he has nothing. You know, like he just sounds different. Right. You know, like he's, he's approaching things differently, mm-hmm. dealing with a different set of issues. So I think, unfortunately, a lot of people have just kind of lost him. But we're not here to necessarily give a whole biographical sketch of the man or to survey all of his teachings. We want to give a brief overview of one of his seminal works. In fact, I think I should have looked this up because I'm just now remembering it, though. But I think he called this his greatest. Like, this is the work he was most proud of writing. And uh, it is a classic that is acknowledged by Christian and non-Christian alike, and it is The Confessions, Mm -hmm. um, which is a fitting title for the book because the whole thing is really a prayer of sorts. So when you approach this book, so again, our hope is that this will just kind of serve as a guide and an accompaniment to help you get into the book itself, because there's nothing quite like actually picking it up and and reading it. And hopefully this will wait your appetite for it, because when you approach it, it's going to be helpful to think of it as a spiritual memoir slash autobiography slash extended prayer. Um, (laughs) A lot of those things, because it's really all those things wrapped up into one. This is a book that Augustine intentionally wrote, as the Latins would have said it, Caram Deo, Before the Face of God. Oh, wow. It is addressed to God explicitly in the form of a prayer. And I think that's a marvelous idea, because here's the thing about prayer. You can't hide anything about yourself from God, (laughs) right? There's nothing you can hide from him. He knows it all already. So when you're in a posture of prayer, it can create this unique sort of openness, for lack of a better term, and honesty that might not exist otherwise, mm. because what do you have to lose by telling God what he already knows, right? Exactly. Like, you're not hiding anything from him. You're, you're only telling him what he already knows and stuff that you might otherwise overlook, that mm. you might not be so quick to talk about or to examine within yourself. So in this case, we're really getting a deep interior look at Augustine's inner life, as well as getting an account of his outer life, like the events that actually transpired in his life up to the point he wrote the confessions in the form of a long form prayer. Um, Because he wrote these, he was in his early 40s, I think, when he wrote these. So not terribly old, but yeah. So if on one hand, this is a very prayerful writing addressed to God, but on the other hand, it functions in the memoir autobiographical space yeah how much of it is like historic versus Mm. yeah like how much of a peek behind the veil of you know augustine the person do we get versus like here's my prayerful writings yeah right polished (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) yes that's a great question the short answer is you're getting a deep look at all of that um he's very forthright i think that's The thing that, we'll we'll talk about it more in depth, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but (laughs) the thing I love so much about Augustine is how human he is. Because I think you get this idea, I don't know where we get this from either, I guess maybe it's self-imposed, maybe some, in the modern celebrity culture, maybe some of this is kind of foisted upon us, but Augustine didn't live under any of those illusions. You know, he wasn't living in the age of celebrity Christianity. Right. So he is very, very honest, both about what he's thinking and feeling and about the events that transpired in his life. Mm. So as far as a roadmap of the book goes, the book is composed of 13 chapters. He actually calls them books, but I think it's helpful to think of them as chapters. Sure. So the confessions open with a more formal meditation in which Augustine contemplates the greatness of God. And this is where he utters that famous line that you've probably heard before, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Mm. So that line really sets the stage of the whole book. 
I think it would be fair to summarize the thrust of the confessions as Augustine's long harrowing journey toward a Sabbath rest in God, so to speak. He goes looking for love in all the wrong places before he's finally captivated by Christ and finds his rest there. And he is unsparing in his details of how he pursued all of that in the wrong places. Wow. So so he takes us on that journey pretty explicitly then. Like, yeah. Like the, the mistakes and yes. all of the kind of like messy stuff as well. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, unexpected. For sure. wow, yeah, that's yeah. Wild. Yeah, he's definitely not one of these guys that I think puts himself on this pedestal where he feels like he has a reputation to protect. Okay, Again, so, so did this come out when he was still prolific or was this like post- This was like work? right in the midst of his being prolific. So he's like, hey, you can all read my mail now. Yeah. Wow. He had, he had only been the bishop- in, uh, I think it was Carthage. Oh, now I feel bad. I'm like, the Augustine scholar's gonna be like, what's wrong with you? How can you not remember where he was bishop? I thought he but, was your um, favorite. But he only been bishop for two years okay. when he wrote this. So his people were, I mean, they he could have everything. kicked him to the curb. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So after that meditation, the book really basically just advances through his life up to book nine. Up to book nine covers all the stages of his life as far as he can remember them. <laughs> all the way from childhood to current day. So he actually begins with his infancy, believe it or not. Like he doesn't start with, you know, oh, here's my earliest memories of childhood. He starts with the things that like his parents told him about his infancy. I'm talking about like when he first started smiling, those kinds of things. That's wild. Like he, he says something in effect of like, I did not smile at first, but then I, like, I mean, those kinds of details. Like he gets into all of that and goes through some of the accounts of his earliest days and he basically just walks you through every attempt to find rest in the things of the world. So like trying to find his rest in fame, in sex, in friendship, in philosophy, all this stuff. You name it, he tried it, basically. I love that like basically 70% of this is just that. Yeah. Is just the struggle. Yeah. That is the most realistic thing. It is. I can think of. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he really, there's... There really hadn't been a book quite like this written when yeah. he was writing it. And I would especially imagine for someone in, in a position like that. Yes, yes. Where, you know, I think we have these ideas, again, that you have like a reputation to protect and guard. And mm-hmm. he was very much like, no, here's here's who I am. Like, this is who I am before the face of God. Like, it's yeah. no good to hide that before the face of you, basically. And as you read through this, I think you'll be constantly and pleasantly surprised at how human and fallen this absolute giant of the faith is and how he's not quick to hide behind platitudes or to excuse himself mm. in these regards. And just, I mean, all the details of his life, like, he talks about his love and adoration for his mother. I mean, his he loved his mother, mm-hmm. Monica. She loved him. In fact, again, I'm, I'm going to keep interspersing details that are yeah, going to sure. spoil a lot, but like, he was not a Christian, of course, for the first 30 years of his life. And she was so consumed with having him converted to the faith and prayed for him constantly. She went to the Bishop of Milan, whose name was Ambrose, and he was probably the most famous, well-known Christian of his day, Very another very prolific man. Augustine was later converted under his preaching. But she went to him asking for counsel, and she was weeping. And Aww. what he said was, no son of such tears could long be forgotten by Christ. So like, you know, weep not like Christ. Like, yeah. he's not going to ignore those tears. So he talks about his love for his mother. And at the same time, he talks about like how, for lack of a better term, he doesn't use these exact words, obviously, but like how annoyed he was <laughs> by her persistence. Like she would just follow him everywhere. Like oh he's like word. traveling from Carthage to Milan, like all these places. And she's like basically just trying to follow him yeah. and like get him converted. So he's talking about that. When he's talking about his earliest years in school, he talks about his fear of being punished for not mm. doing well in school. You Tell know, you get about beat. It. You're reading my mail. Yeah. And then he talks about how upset basically he was at the adults in his life for 
laughing at his fears is what he says yeah like they laughed at his they were like oh you know you're just a child that's so ridiculous and he's like that really wounded him as a child and he talks about that very forthrightly so again although his life was in many ways alien to us i mean simply because you know he lived in the fourth and fifth centuries in other ways he's so much like us like you will just see so much of yourself in him which i mean maybe that sounds egotistical but i mean it's just you understand like we all have the same struggles i guess i don't know same I, sins beset us i think it removes this kind of strange facade of untouchable sainthood yeah um, yeah, again, people call him Saint Augustine. Like, yeah, he's just, we both place him on this unreachable pedestal and then place in front of him like this mask of perfection. Yeah. He is the church father. Yeah. Which, I mean, th- the reason that's so important is because he wasn't that facade. Right. It's because he had these very personal details and failings yes. that makes that so meaningful and personal. Yeah, exactly. That he was not, I don't like using this word in this context, I think it, it carries these weird kind of, but like he wasn't fake. Yeah. He knew who he was before God and he wanted to be honest about that to the end that he might be more holy, you know, and like not just so that like he'd be like, oh yeah, like I have these sins and all these issues <laughs> in my life and all this stuff happened. Like the point, I mean, again, he's addressing this in the form of a prayer. It's like he's, he's bringing it before God as a sort of confession. And you'll also see throughout how he traces his life story in biblical terms. What do you mean by that? Well, for example, he sort of recreates, for lack of a better term, his own fall from grace in book two, when he describes how he stole pears from a neighbor's tree, not because he wanted or even liked the pears, but simply because it was forbidden. What? Is yeah. it, this is not an analogy. This happened? No. This is a real event That's that happened amazing. in his life, and he, he saw it in thoroughly biblical categories, oh, right? Oh, my word. And this happened when he was a teenager. So yeah. Like he, of course, he wasn't under any illusions, like, oh, that was my first sin, you know what I mean? But, like, <laughs> he understood that event in terms of a certain, like, confirmation mm-hmm. of his fall from grace. Yeah. That he stole from this tree of forbidden fruit, and that kind of set the trajectory for the rest of his life until he met Christ. Because, I mean, obviously, that just smacks Genesis 3. Like, mm-hmm. you're reading that, and you're like, where have I seen this before? Like, oh, wait a minute. That's Genesis <laughs> Genesis 3. And Augustine did that on purpose because, I mean, he saw his life thoroughly wrapped up in the story of God, basically. Mm-hmm. You mean he um, made the analogy on purpose? Or yeah. He, so like, no, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't he, have said that. He drew the connection in these confessions on purpose. Yes, exactly. Okay. One of his recurring motifs throughout the book is you definitely get the sense he saw himself as the prodigal son, too. Oh, yeah. So you see that kind of imagery kind of constantly showing up. So pay attention to that as you read because that'll really help you catch the contours and stay on the path with him up through book nine. Mm-hmm. Books 10 through 13 are going to feel a little awkward. <laughs> really? A lot of, if you if you bought an abridged edition of this book, some of them just cut out books 10 through 13, which I think is a really? shame. Yeah. It's, a, it's unfortunate because they're not an awkward appendage. I mean, if you're kind of cruising through it, it might feel that way because it really does, the tone, it's just really different. Mm. Much more philosophical and theological. He's talking about like the days of creation and time and the uh, memory like the concept of memory. I I'm like, like this, not, not just talking about his memories. Right. Like, he comes out of his discussion of his memories to talk about memory itself. Yeah. So it starts getting into this. It may feel esoteric at first, but it's not. It's not an awkward appendage to the book. So if you think about it in these terms, the book is called The Confessions. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, we do not just confess our sins or our desires, which is you know kind of what he's doing up through book nine, his history, his sins, confessions, his life story. We also confess the faith. So books 10 through 13, I think, take on a little more of that rhetorical function. Mm-hmm. So you have that going on. Here's another fun fact for you. 
just a little bit of trivia. When he's talking about the days of creation, I think we tend to think that all of church history, the predominant view was like six literal creation days. Oh, I love this discussion. Right? Actually, that was not. Uh-huh. And here's, here's really weird, okay? Up until, I think, the 10th century, Augustine's view was the prevalent view in the church. And Augustine's view was not six literal days, uh-huh. nor was it the kind of theories that we have today, like a day age yeah, or anything. Really? Okay. His theory was instantaneous creation. Really? Like everything happened at once. And his thinking behind that was, again, he, he saw Genesis as like God accommodating yeah. our understanding. Right. But his view of God... He took God as so powerful, right? And so, I mean, overflowing with the fullness of like, he actually was like, I'm afraid to limit God to say it took him six literal days. So he's like, <laughs> it all happened at once. And he, to condescend to our understanding, wow. revealed it to us that's in this kind of, format. That's cool. But that was the prevailing understanding of creation up until I think the 10th or 11th century. Wow. And I think think someone's really going to fact check on this because I'm really pulling back from archives right now, but I think it was Bernard of Clairvaux who first really started talking about six literal days and he was very hesitant about it because he was afraid <laughs> of not just, you know, subverting what the church had been teaching, but like somehow degrading God isn't saying, wild. oh yeah, he did it in six literal days. That's so funny. And now we're like, well, I think this, well, actually I think it's like yeah. so different. That's yes, it wild. is. So I think that's just fun. Like just note that when you're reading through his account of uh, the days of creation and mm. all that. So anyway, the book ends all that said with this gentle peace and Sabbath rest that Augustine cried out for in book one. What an arc. Yeah. So in this way, Augustine's confessions more or less mirror the life of every Christian when you get down, I think, to the basics of it. For real. And for that reason, I think they have the potential to speak deeply to every human heart and Augustine has spoken deeply to people who have allowed him to. He continues to speak deeply. Strangely enough, not just Christians. I mean, if you look at the philosophies of a guy like Camus, he was influenced by Augustine. Really? And you don't think, I mean, you're thinking about Camus. I mean, he was, you know, French existentialist yeah. kind of a guy. When you said early on, like, in, like it's been a valuable resource to Christians and non-Christians alike. And then we immediately say, long form prayer. I'm like, really? Is that so? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, where right. do you draw these connections? That's yeah. interesting. So, yeah. So that's his confessions. Augustine knows what it is to want and to yearn and he can teach all of us prodigal children how to come back home to our father in heaven so Mm. hopefully this will serve as a good guide map to you whet your appetite and hopefully you'll pick it up at some point and read through it and uh, we hope you enjoy it and if you have any questions about this book or you want us to dig into another classic you can email us as always at podcast at horizonschurch.net or you can interact with us on social media and if you found this review to be a classic (laughs) you can leave us a classic yeah five-star review like i really really ham-fisted those references in there that's what i do i mean that's what i'm here for big deal We thank you anyway. If you do it, thanks. <laughs> yes, we do. So thank you as always for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.